My name is Jeff Reimbold, and you're listening to the Drop Back Podcast. The Drop Back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. back and you are listening to another episode of the Dropback Podcast. As you can hear from the intro, we are joined by a very special guest this week. It is Jeff Reinbowl of Sky Sports and many, many different teams that he's covered over the years. But first of all, I've got to introduce my co-hosts. He hasn't missed a week so far. It's Sam Lewis. Love it. You're going to say Joe's missing a week, but he does have a genuine <laughs> excuse. <laughs> he does have a genuine excuse. And he has missed a couple of weeks. It's Matt Burns Peak. Hadley doodly. Well, it's not my fault that Slew's like the fucking Frank Gore of podcasting. It's your fault that you weren't turning up last year, though. That was some iffy behaviour from yourself. I was busy, man. That shit's dupe. Anyway, let's kick things off with talk about the New York Jets trip to LA. Yeah, I mean, it, it's strange timing that he makes, that he proclaims the, the Rams as having Super Bowl capabilities and then they get flunked by one of the worst teams we've ever seen. And then Joe's mysteriously missing. Yeah, and the key to their weakness was the weakness that I described the week before. Jared Goff being forced to pass the ball as they fall behind in games. Mm. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. No, no, it's not a coincidence, Stan. Just great analysis by yourself. I think great it really analysis. was. So, yeah, it's Why are such a top X as opposed to Absolutely. Um, what was the difference in this game between the Jets and the Rams? What did you take away from this? Oof. Do you want to do you want to go first, Slewy? No, you can take it, mate. Right. Well, my takeaways were both quarterbacks are crap, to be honest. Like I, I even, and it feels weird saying because Sam Darnold has come off a win, but I'm still not enamoured with Donald at all. His stat line was very ordinary. Um, and then aside from that, as you just mentioned, I thought Jared Goff was yet again glitteringly underwhelming when throwing the ball yes he finished with two touchdowns but again a pick and you just you know just over 200 yards from 34 passing attempts like i think i think you hit the nail on, on the head last week's down when you were saying about when the rams go down they don't have the firepower and offense to be able to come back in games and it was made blatantly evident because the, the jets defense aside from some very odd play calling isn't terrible um, and did and did a pretty good job, in all fairness, of of limiting that Rams offense. But I, I think, yeah, all the reasons we spoke about last week why Joe was wrong for me, for even thinking about putting that bet on um, were made blatantly obvious on on Sunday. It was like the football betting gods being like, "Ha, nice one, mate. We're just gonna expose those flaws totally in one go." Just exactly. and then we're gonna give you COVID. <laughs> <laughs> It was a real harsh turn. No, I, I don't think it's fair to say that Sam Darnold was necessarily terrible terrible in this game. We did speak about how the Rams do have a good defence. He wasn't great by any stretch, but he wasn't horrific. And he may, he may as well have put, um, played himself into a starting role next year. Well, but, I don't think from that game alone it's enough. He was averaging like six yards per completion. I mean, it's more only... the fact that they're out of now positions to take Trevor Lawrence than anything else. No, I mean, <laughs> that that's quite true in itself. No, Darnold did what he needed to win this game. They had a they had a strong run game going, in the fact that because they were ahead for the majority of the game, well, the entire game pretty much, they were able to maintain a rushing attack, which meant there was no pressure on Sam Darnold. Yeah, to just drop back and pass and try and win the game with his arm, essentially. So the play action game it keeps you it keeps the linebackers on this and it allowed. It allowed crossing routes over the field to open up. It allowed lots of other things to open up for Sam Donald to make his life a lot easier. So he wasn't amazing. He wasn't no. great, but he did no. what he needed to get the win. And to be fair, the worrying thing about Sam Donald isn't that he necessarily played bad. It's that he hasn't really shown any improvement. Like yeah. his footwork's still a little bit iffy. He doesn't always point where he wants the ball to go. And those causes obviously inaccuracies. I mean, they do have positives. Um, Quinn and Williams looks like a great player on yes. that D-line. I mean, I think people were talking about him potentially being a bust, but obviously that's somewhat overclouded by how shitty the rest of that organisation is. So yeah. he's turning into a good player. Yeah, Quinn and Williams is awesome. And obviously over at nose tackle, Nate Shepard as well had a massive game. He bagged at least True. a couple of tackles for losses in a sack on Jared Goff. They, dom- they dominated 
in the trenches for quite a lot of that game. And just the entire defence as a whole, like obviously Greg Williams was fired last week and they played And look what just, happens. Yeah, look what happens when you fire him. They swarm to the football. I think it's not necessarily just the fact that it's a different play call, it's the fact that it's Greg Williams gone, the person who's holding up the defence. It's obviously had like a mental effect on the players as well because they played with just like a renewed strength and a renewed energy. They just swarmed for the football completely. I know yeah. that yeah, the, the DBs were very, like they were much more aggressive. They led to a few penalties, but in general, it was welcome. And the entire defense just played as one unit, and they just played so much faster. It was just, it was just nice to see the Jets mm. win a game essentially. Well, I, I don't agree with you there, but yes, it was it was refreshing. I think it is also. On the Greg Williams thing, I think we think it, it sort of flared up a few times last season as well in terms of there being a personality rift between a lot of the players and Greg Williams. He seemed like the sort of like I remember he took Jamal Adams out a couple of times, um, like after coverage bust or something, and and sat him for for a while. And it's like I know you're making the point, but he's also like your best player on defense. So could that not have just been like a quiet word? And like he seemed he seemed to be quite sort of heavy on mistakes to the point where players look scared to make mistakes. So I don't think it's any surprise in that case that when he's gone, there's that more freedom. Yes, we saw more penalties, but also you get the good side of that freedom of players swarming to the ball, like you said. Yeah, I think absolutely. it does finally put to rest. I think it's, it's been cropping up. I know I was, I was asked about it. I went on the Across the Pond podcast a week or so ago, and he, we, were, we were talking about whether they are actually tanking or if that's a top-level thing. And we were mentioning how look, I don't think professional athletes are able to go out in such a physical game and actually yeah. tank. And I think this has showed it because if they were doing what's best for their career in the Jets, they would have laid down for the last three games of the season. But yeah, exactly. they've got no chance of making playoffs and they're still playing hard. Yeah, um, just going back to that as well, it's the issue with contracts as well. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, like no professional athlete in a league where the average career length is two and a half years, no athlete is ever going to not give their best so, and that, that showed up in today's game, or sorry, not today's game, in Sunday's game, where they completely just dominated the Rams in that first half of the game, which led to them mm. taking the win in general. So, just leading on to this, the Jets got a win. <laughs> on paper, that looks great, but in terms of draft implications, it's a more negative thing, because they've taken themselves out of that first spot due to the, um, the difference in st- uh, strength of schedule with the Jaguars. The Jaguars now take top spot, which means <laughs> they are in pole position. I think this is the worst win in NFL history, honestly, for that fan base. Yeah, having, to, having to sit through the last three or four years of what they've been through, that must be crushing. You're so close to a player that's been projected to, he's going to turn this city around, <laughs> yeah. he's going to make the Jets competitive again. And then because you felt like you needed to beat the Rams, congratulations, you've now got a whole lot of decisions to make and you don't have that franchise saviour. Yeah, it's honestly like the the most depressing victory Monday in, in football history, right? Um I thought it was very, it was quite funny as well. I don't know if you guys saw like a lot of the newspapers for um, New York and the surrounding areas, like just like genuinely really angry that their team had won. And it was, it was just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It questions what they're going to do now, because when you've got Sam Darnold, it's excusable to take Trevor Lawrence because he is this generational talent. Yeah. So now the Jets have to ask themselves if any of the other QBs who a lot of them do have some question marks about them, whether they there's a big enough gap between them and Darnold to justify taking Darnold compared to filling some of the other needs that they've got all over this roster. Yeah, yeah. I think once Fields cleans up his, his reading of the game and his ability to read defences, I think he could be a top QB in the league for sure. So he'd be definitely available at a number two pick. It's just whether, again, as you said, they value Darnold as their starting quarterback. And if they do value Darnold, they can take Penny Sewell who is yeah. by far the best offensive mm. line p- prospect in this draft. Like maybe this decade, he's absolutely phenomenal player, complete mm. athlete, and yeah, he just be he shouldn't be able to move. And then that, if you far if you size of him, if you book if you manage to bookend the lines with Beckton on one side and Suell on the other, that's you know, Stan shaking his no. head because he thinks Suell should be a guard at the next level. But that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> article he's going to make. <laughs> I'm not saying he should, I'm not saying he should be. I'm saying he, he came into Oregon as a guard. He moved. He got moved to tackle because of the strength of guard that they already had. I'm saying if you've got Beckton and Suell on that left side of the line, oh my god, that is ridiculous. You, you, no one's going to be able to stop you if you run to the left side of the line there. Like it would be ridiculous. 
Either way, though, you've still got two amazing pieces on an O-line yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on first-round contracts with a long-term to go on the cheap. So maybe what they do is they start to build the, take the idea that, similar to what the Niners did when they built up the rest of the roster yeah. and then added their quarterback, and that took them to the Super Bowl. So maybe the Jets could do a similar thing. I'm not saying it's going to take one year or two years, but maybe they can get the pieces around them and build sort of outside in rather than mm. quarterback out. Yeah, we've got, to look at, we've got to look at who the head coach that comes in, should they fire Adam Gase, which... Please fire Adam Let's Adam. hope they do. Let's hope at last they, they give him the sack and they, they bring in a new guy, but it depends on his opinion and whether he values... Watch Adam Gase turn this win with a with a terrible roster into a new three-year contract somewhere. No, he won't. <laughs> he, he, the thing is, I wouldn't even be that surprised. That's I would. Know. I hundred percent would. Awful. You don't fancy him in my in um Arizona then Stan when oh, God, the Cliff no. Kingsbury regime comes crumbling down. Cliff's not getting oh, fired. Cliff's not getting fired. Yet. He's not, not getting, getting fired. fired yet. Well, yeah. what about Wentz to New York? I was literally about to say that as well. Like that could actually make a ton of sense. Uh, going off what you said before, Slew, about building building out and then putting getting the quarterback in. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the draft, right? Like Wentz has shown to be a very capable starter. I think it, it looks like one of those situations where for all parties involved, he just needs a change of scenery. Yeah, he needs a new, he needs a quarterback coach as well. He needs someone who's going to just completely just revamp his game as well. He needs to spend a lot of time on that over the season. Maybe go see a guy like Jordan Palmer, one of those QB camps, something mm. like that. Or, you know, the QB guru, Adam Gase himself. Oh, <laughs> go and see him. He's good Stop. enough for Peyton Manning. He's good enough for Carson Wentz. That's all I'm going to say. One bloke. One fucking bloke says this. Says, "Oh, yeah, he's actually quite a good QBs coach, and he's just rode a fucking career out of it." Has any NFL, I know, personality, coach, player ever made the career so much of one man's recommendation? Other than you know all the Sean McVay disciples. <laughs> I, don't no, think I mean, so. literally, yeah. It's I don't know that. I mean, that black, that man, Adam Gay should be a salesman, not a fucking NFL coach. Oh, to be fair, no, Bill Belichick's some disciples. Yeah, before Flores and who else am I thinking of that's pretty good? You can just, you can stop there, mate. You can stop there. No, it's another one. This is... I'm absolutely blanking. Who was the other rookie head coach this year that's come from Belichick? Uh, was Joe, Judge. Joe Judge. Joe Judge. Yeah. Was Joe Judge that's... Belichick? Yeah, yeah Joe Judge special, special teams. Team I mean, he oh. seems to be all right. I mean, maybe I've. Mm, I'm actually thinking about it. Nah, he's not. He's not a Flores, though, is he, mate? Is he? <laughs> not Flores. Not quite Carling. Exactly. Stan, you've been listening back to last week's podcast. You liked that one, did you? Yeah, <laughs> no, it, was a good, it was a good one. It was a good one. As it always is, you should be tuning in every week. To be honest, nice. Turn into a flood. Talking of upsets, Bengal Steelers. What, what what happened there? Yeah, well, here was I thinking that the Rams had the worst lot of the season so far. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it was awful. It was awful. This, Considering... this Steelers, I, I wrote in our preseason picks, um, pre-game picks, what was going to happen? Were the Steelers going to bounce back, or were they going to sort of, you know, pull a mat and sort of crumble in on themselves a little bit? The classic. And they they've done. They've gone with the mat approach, t- losing to the losing to the Bengals, and we mentioned how that offense just needs a bit more downfield presence because. I mean, you can't just keep happening. You yeah. can't keep throwing it three yards and expect people to. Not key in on ten it. guys miss. Yeah, exactly. And the only time they do throw it deep, I mean, like Ben on third and long or fourth and long, whatever it was, when he's like, "Nah, just go a bit deeper. I'm sure you'll eventually get open." And let me just hike it up into quadruple coverage. I think Ben's the issue there. Here's another. Here's mm-hmm. another place where Wentz, you know, could see a destination be. Ooh. In that game, he threw at least six interceptable passes. He That's did one right. of his Ben games. It, it, it usually he did, a ben it, game. he did a Ben game. You know the ones where he, he's done it a few times where he's thrown multiple picks. I mean, I know, I know he didn't yesterday, but like he's where he's thrown multiple picks and then flirts with retirement and then comes back and is like, "Oh, actually, I'm going to give it another go." Yeah, next week we'll have like a 400 yard game or something, which completely yeah. bounce back from it. But issue, yeah. I think he's been he's been got quite a lot of confirmed money next year, so I don't think they really have any option but to stick with Ben. Credit should be handed to the Bengals' defence, though. Yes. Like they, they completely dominated that game. Like The likes of Von Bell, you've got Carl Lawson as well, who is an absolute monster that game. Josh Bynes led the team in tackling. Credit's got to be handed there, especially Von Bell, who 
prior yeah. to the game, he warned Juju Smith-Schuster about his pre-game TikTok logo dancing ritual, and yeah. um, as you will have seen all over social media, Juju was um, he was punished for that quite heavily. Oh yeah, a, a crushing blow that led to a forced fumble, which was recovered by the Bengals. We all know that was a penalty, though. He'd plead in the jaw with the top of nah, his hand. Man. I don't care how many TikToks you you post. You don't deserve that. That was me. Bro, he, he smacked the dance right out of him. It was fucking brilliant. I don't think he has. I hope. I, I'm surely he has. Mike Tomlin's having words now. Yeah, Mike Tomlin came out and said he's going to have words with Juju about it. I so. really hope Mike Tomlin joins him next week. <laughs> well, just join him out on the logo. Just don't. Oh my god, that would. Could you imagine how fucking? Brit- I mean, I think that would get me back on board. I've, I've seriously soured on the whole juju dance thing. But if if he could convince Mike Tomlin to come and do it with him, then you know what? Mm. They'd have to change up the dance. I think. I just Please. that they have to change up the dance anyway because I don't have a, a whole issue as everyone else seems to with him doing something like that. It's yeah. more the. Just the absolute terrible dance and song that it is just done so to. Cringy, isn't it's it? the connotations the of TikTok as well, like the whole like. Mm. I'll stand get with the times, like mate. The dropback available on TikTok. It's not. It's not available. I've got no no interest in doing that at the moment. So if you, if, you no if one of you guys fancies doing that, nope, nope, nope. Fan, nope. funny that. No, you didn't fancy that. No, no the dropback is not going to TikTok. Sorry, you'll be sorry to hear. Sorry, 14-year-old girls. It's not available <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> God damn it. They, they make up so much of our audience as well. <laughs> the Pro Bowl rosters were announced the other day, and Matt, I, I've heard that you've had, you've had some issues with it. Fuming, mate. Absolutely fuming. Is I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not Oh, look, not look at me. I, I, my team's suddenly not shit, and I think all of them should make the Pro Bowl. Grow well, up. You well, you can't be talking about your team. but um, We are more Pro Bowlers. And there lies the problem. Does it though? No. I mean, I I think Javon Howard was always going to be a lock because he's been outrageous this season. But I I was I was surprised that a few more Dolphins didn't get some love on that on that on the defensive side of things for the Pro Bowl. I thought Shaq Lawson and Manuel Ogba at least were in with a chance. Um, no, I mean, not, not when the thing is though, over players. who? Over who exactly? So right, let's go for Emmanuel Ogba. So he's a he's a three four defensive end, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So you've got Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Frank Clark, uh, Chris Jones, Cam Hayward, and Calais Campbell all on the line. Who do you? Replace? This is the issue though, because th- so you you've you've plus I'd argue that he's behind DeForest Buckner as well. Yeah, DeForest Buckner should be in ahead of Calais Campbell. I my problem with the Pro Bowl and, and we I think we've all mentioned this before is like so it's Dolphins the- players on on it. Other than that, um, it, it's big players living off of past glories. Like Joe Bosa hasn't been that good this season. Claire Campbell hasn't been that good this season. Joe Bosa has been pretty good this season. Yeah, Bosa has he? Good. Yeah, has he been? I, I would argue he hasn't been as outstanding as he has previously. Uh, I would, um, I would disagree. Would you? Yes. Well, but I mean, I, I think it's something that we see every every year with the Pro Bowl is people. Mm. Big name players getting in because they've been good in the past rather than how good they've actually been now. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Saints as an example, the fact that Trey Hendrickson literally leads Cameron Jordan in basically every pass rushing stat on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. But Cameron Jordan's on. Not that I've got an issue with Cameron Jordan being there. I've got an issue with Jordan being there and Hendrickson not. Yeah. Because comparatively, one been better but isn't called cam jordan yeah also i don't understand how jordan poyer won the fan vote for safety and didn't make it it's because um player and coach voters but they carry more weight i thought i thought that that's why he got the nfl 100 so the the players can vote for something lead the pro bowl to the fans no i had to, I had to ask this as well the other day so yeah someone informed me that yeah, the player votes and the coach votes they carry much more weight so mm. it's not really that much of a democracy for us fans sadly yeah I mean, there's a, there's a few more bit if he wants. I don't understand how James Robinson hasn't made it above. I mean, That's... Josh Josh Jacobs. I mean, he's been fine, but James Robinson has been much better statistically yeah. and in play. True. No, 100% agree. James Robinson should have made it. Um, yeah, Wyatt Teller as well for the Cleveland Browns. They're our offensive guard. I think he should have 100% made that. You've got DeForest Buckner as well. Um Levante David, will he ever actually make a pro bowl because of his spot as an off-the-ball outside linebacker? Yeah, you brought this up um, prior to starting recording that I didn't realise that 
he was being put as an outside linebacker rather than well, that's as a four-three linebacker. He should just be an inside. He should just be voted inside linebacker. Yeah, we were saying it should just be a vote for a pass rush position and then linebacker positions because yeah. that that's the, that seems like the fairest way to do it. I don't understand why Levante David doesn't deserve to make it because he's not a pass rusher but is an outside linebacker. He should be as an edge rusher, but then that penalizes guys like J- like TJ Watt who are like jacks of all trades. Now he at the end of the day though he's he is an edge rusher and he would still make it as an edge rusher in the vote. Yeah. No, I guess True. so. But yeah, just the yeah the off the ball linebackers are going to really struggle to get mm. onto it because of the fact that they're competing with pass rushers. You get sacks and sacks are much more highly weighted stat when it comes to this sort of thing and the Pro Bowl voting amongst players and yeah the fans quite a lot. So that's never going to happen. Yeah, JC Jackson as well for the Patriots. Doesn't he? He still leads the league in interceptions. No, he doesn't. Uh, sorry, I might be saving Howard. He, but he should be there ahead of Stefan Gilmore this year. Yeah, 100%. No, uh, yeah, JC Jackson has been brilliant. He's, I think he's on seven inceptions on the year. Like, I would say definitely outside of Javon Howard, he's been the best ball-hawking corner in the league. So, yeah, again, Ste- Stefan Gilmore has been good, but nowhere near as good as he was last season. I know, obviously, he was Defence Player of the Year last season. But, again, past glories as to why he's still in there. Hmm. And one that I don't even get because you can't explain it as past glories. It's just draft hype that they've never lived up to. I don't understand how the hell Evan Ingram's made it there ahead of Bob Tunney. That's an interesting Evan, one. Evan yeah. Ingram's been crap. He's been yeah, but every, season. the media, like, they're fascinated, especially in New York, by his like size and speed and his potential. So he's had yeah. 54 receptions, 572 yards, which is good. Better than Tonyan just, 49, 551. But Ingram's had one touchdown and Tonyan's had 10. Yeah, I don't even know how that's comparable. I don't understand how Tonyan hasn't made the pro. Uh, Tonyan has a less more less a lot less targets as well than him. Oh, so you're saying he's got better pass, pass yeah, uh, so percentage? It's, it's exactly. Right, yeah, I, yeah. It, it's a weird one with with Ingram. I think definitely the fact that he's in New York and he's in that big market, he gets way more attention than his plays warranted thus far. Like we've seen yeah. decent like flashes from him, but no, he's basically for me a less good David Njoku. Yeah, that's literally, I don't know. Yeah, him and David Joker are really similar prospects. Well, they're not prospects anymore. They're, they're pro athletes, but they're both, yeah, these these prototypical athletic mm. new wave kind of type ends. Yeah, tight ends, but their hands just don't live up to it when they're called upon. I thought Engren's got, got good hands. No, he's, he's, had, he's dropped quite a lot of balls this year, apparently. He's one of those where he's made a couple of nice one-handed grabs, but like the day-to-day ball hits in between the chest. He's not like, he, it's not a guaranteed thing. Yeah, so Jarvis Landry. He's Jarvis Landry. He's a Jarvis Landry in a tight end. Though, ten touchdowns, nine more touchdowns than Engram. That's that's yeah, just that, like that's damning. That's damning. If you're if if you're if you're a player and you voted for Ingram Ingram over Tonyan, then shame, shame, big shame. Yeah, absolutely. The end of the season is drawing near now, which means we've got to turn our attention ahead to the postseason and the playoffs and. This year, we're blessed with an expanded wildcard round, which means we're going to see a lot more teams in the playoffs. It's an expanded playoffs. More of the the edge teams fighting for the wildcard spot that would have been fighting last year will be automatic makes now. So in these wildcard spots, we've got three per conference. We've got Cleveland Browns, the Indianapolis Colts, the Miami Dolphins, and then on the NFC, we have the Rams, the Bucks, and the Cardinals. Hmm. Which of these six teams are likely to make a deeper run in the playoffs than others? I still think it's the team that somehow managed to lose to the Jets. Or the Rams? No. Slew, don't do this to yourself. Them or the Browns. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, th- it's gonna be I don't AFC think Miami teams. are good enough on offense to make a run in the playoffs. Oh, no, I, I, I can, I've I got can no think. issue with... I, oh, okay, I thought that's where you were going with it, because no, that's no, usually no. where you go with it. <laughs> No, I, I completely agree on the Miami front. Um, the, um, Colts, maybe. I just don't trust Philip Rivers at all. Now it's December, January. Buccaneers, who the hell knows what we're going to get with them? Yeah, Because they were terrible against Atlanta in the first half, fine in the second half. But I just don't... It's weird because they seem to have to outplay themselves all the time. And I just yeah. don't trust that come playoffs. Cardinals, I mean, Kyler Murray's a pretenders, spark. Pretenders. But the fact that they barely beat the Eagles is damning in itself i think yeah i got a lot of hate in the um r slash cardinal subreddit for um for not being too happy with it only just beating the eagles so yeah the card the cardinals are definitely pretenders like 
in this sort of situation. If you're barely beating the Eagles, there's no way you can you can yeah. go forward in the playoffs, especially yeah. when we're slated to play the Saints in the first round at the moment. Yeah, that 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 has a pretty easy easy call on it. That game, I, I'm still I'm still really struggling with the Cardinals. Like, so am I. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this much of a struggle week on week to 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 get results with the roster that you have. I I, I don't understand why you're not able to dominate games because you have the pieces to be able to do it which is the, why because the offensive the off- play calling is fucking anemic exactly that's what i was going to get to why in the drop back group chat hashtag cliff out has been uh dropped a few times yeah by sam lewis and no one else i would i would also echo cliff out at this point you haven't been He's had two years. He's had two years. He has had two years. Against the against the Eagles, the play calling wasn't too bad. I think quite a lot of that was on Kyler Murray. Yeah, he does love. He does just love to relax his grip on the ball in the most opportune moments. He does. He does. You're just yeah. not an explosive offense, and you should be. The idea of a deep play is, oh shit, let's just throw it one on one to DeAndre Hopkins. But there is nothing else to that offense at the moment. Yeah, I think I think the big issue with Cliff Kingsbury as well, and why you know semi jovially we've been talking about you know Cliff being the problem, is all the excitement when you've got him in terms of you know he's going to completely revolutionise the sort of offense that we're going to see in the NFL. Is you know air raids going to he's going to adapt air raids to fit an NFL pro? I wasn't that excited at first, to be honest with you, considering he like he hadn't even done well at Texas Tech. But he scored a lot of points, eh? Ooh. That's what happens. Everyone scores though. a lot of points have in that you seen, division. Like Washington, yeah. The Big Twelve doesn't have have defenses, but that's the same thing. Like with Mike Leach when up when he was in Washington State in the Pac-12 with the with his air raid up there. Like they're throwing for a ton of yards every game. Like the completion percentages would be great, but they get a ton of yards. It's and it's not even a true air raid anymore. So I'm not even sure what we are as a team. Like we don't seem oh. very active downfield. And yeah, as you said, Slee, the deep balls seem to just consist of. Or just DeAndre Hopkins. There's no use of Christian Kirk much apart from mm. the occasional deep post. Well, to be fair, in a vacuum, throwing it deep to DeAndre Hopkins never a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, no, I would I just know, like just I would just like options. a little bit more invention around it. A little more spice added to the offense yeah. than just DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, we 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 were sold a more exciting product. No, I feel you. Talking of exciting products, we have Jeff Reinbold lined up for you next. So we're going to cut that interview now. Hey, it's Stan and Sam here, and we are joined by Jeff Reinbold. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Stan. Why are you hiding that Cardinals thing on the wall back there, bro? Well, I mean, it it wasn't always covered up, but it is now. Um, <laughs> I'd rather have it in plain sight, but... you got to be I'd, proud. Yeah, to to be your... fair, when they were running away with it, it was right up there. It sort of yeah, slowly well, sunk back. You, you, you should hide that thing you got on your wall behind you, Sam. Jeff, we've been over this. We can't all put Leeds stuff on our wall all the time. <laughs> yeah, just out of interest, what leads you to be a, yeah, well, a Leeds fan? Okay, here, here's the true story. 1995, I think it's four or five, I can't even remember, it's been so long, but um, I come to England for the first time. And, you know, like anytime you're traveling, and especially when you're traveling all the way from North America, come over to Europe and you get to the hotel, you're tired, you throw your shit in the room and you just turn on the TV and you know, you're going to zone out, veg out. Right. And there was a soccer match on and like, dude, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if it's nothing about the game. I just know if they hit it into the net, it's good. <laughs> you do it. And if they do it, it ain't good. Right. <laughs> That's and I'm watching this and the people are going crazy. And the two teams are playing back and forth, and the one team has these beautiful all-white uniforms on, right? And then, like, the match is going, and it's the match starts getting chippy, and it starts getting physical. Sounds like a All game. of a sudden, the guy's on the ground, and another guy kind of runs over and knees him in the head, right? <laughs> and the, the announcer goes, oh, that's dirty leads. And I said, that's my team. That's the team I love. I love that. That's a great, great story. Because obviously, like vice versa with us with American football, obviously we're not going to pick our teams based on us being from there because it's the other side of the country, the other side of the world, essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an awesome story. Um, what 
a lot of people may not know, having only seen you on Sky Sports, is that you've had like an over 40 year long coaching career as well, like before the, all the broadcast stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Like how did that how did that come about? How how did you get introduced to the game of well American football? Well, it started like this. My mother was in the hospital. She gave birth to me, and three days later, I was coaching. See, that's how I, 40 years. That's how I got the 40 years. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I was a child prodigy, bro. I started early. I, I, I love that. What can I say? Nah, I, you know what? Um, it was, if I, like, if I just related all the crazy stuff that's gone on, um, you you shake your head, but I I'll just leave it this way. Like I was so like not maladjusted because that means that sounds like I'm a psychopath. But I mean, <laughs> I was just like a kid that um, I had no sense of what reality really was. Right? Like I mean, I just loved to play, and football was the game that I loved, and and I wouldn't have gone to college if it hadn't been for football, and I got an opportunity to go play college football and and uh, one day it was in my senior year in college I'm walking past the head coach's office and I get <laughs> his door was open and he sees me walk past and he goes Jeffrey get in here All right and like I went oh shit because like I don't know about you guys but like Stan if your mother says Stanley then you know it's serious stuff right or, Sam, Samuel get in here right you know you're in trouble so I like, I'm thinking, I'm going through that Rolodex in my brain going like, okay, what did I do? <laughs> you know, and uh, I sat down and he goes, what are you going to do after this is over? And I was like, over? What do you mean over? Like, he goes, Jeff, you, you got six more games to play and then you're, 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 that's the last year of football. Yeah. And I hadn't even thought about it, really. I seriously, I hadn't, because, you know, I just, was enjoying life right and uh and that's he was the first one that told me i i should coach and and uh it was really great advice and it was it's been a you know you guys are way too young to remember a great band in the 70s and 80s called grateful dead and there's a song one of their greatest songs is uh, called trucking and there's a line in that song that said oh what a long strange trip it's been and that's really what my whole experience has been well absolutely especially if you look at all the positions you've coached like you start out qbs and receivers well as per your wikipedia page i don't know if that's how accurate that is going to be trust anything don't trust that you didn't start out with qbs and receivers (laughs) but with that have you got a favorite position that you did end up coaching because you've basically covered every position on the field you know like i said man it was like this whole trip has been so blind lucky um i've been around so many good people and owe so much to people that kind of steered me in the right direction and helped push me here push me there because i never had any you know like i wasn't and i when i joke about it i you know the thing i always say to people is mao say tongue had a five-year plan i didn't know five minutes from right now what i was doing i mean i was just enjoying the whole journey and um I started out because that's the only position I could get, right? I mean, when I when I started in this business, it was a lot different. But um, my head coach in college gave me a book, and it's called the Director of College Athletics. And he said, in there is are the names of every head coach and every school in the United States that plays football, like a hundred at that time, like a hundred Division One schools. And he said. You know, I'll take you. He was going, he was leaving to go to Boston College. He said, I'll take you with me and you can be a graduate assistant for me, but I don't think that's good for you. I think you need to get out. And, and you know, he was really kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve. He said, I think you need to get your own contact base and, you know, spread, spread your wings a little bit. So I wrote 75 handwritten letters, 75, and got 74 no's. And, uh, I got one letter uh, from New Mexico State that said, I don't have a position, but one of my coaches just took a job. And he and the job, the job he took was Western Montana College. Now I'm not shitting you when I'm telling you this. There were less than 900 students in the whole school. It was smaller than, than a high school. You know, 
my high school was three times that big and but and it was the bottom of the food chain i mean we were the lowest ladder on the lowest ladder but i didn't know any better and i didn't know any different and so i just went and um from there it just kind of moved forward and you know like i say man there have been so many people that that helped me along the way that i'll never be able to repay all the thank yous i i really owe yeah what was the roster site size like at western montana then if there are only 900 students at the college like well you know what, what? It's, like? really, it's really kind of interesting because at places like that because there's a number of places like that in america like i think there's like 400 schools that play football and college football in america um for them football keeps the door open because they have a roster of 85 or 100 players that's one ninth of the entire student population yeah. so you know for them it was a way to to get students and and uh you know it's it's cool the thing i like about that whole deal is for if you want to play college football there's a place for every kid right and um it was it was like i'm telling you it was in dillon montana which is a beautiful place up in the mountains and really beautiful but i swear to god this is a true story i lived in a basement apartment i i shared a basement apartment with another coach and when i say a basement apartment in the states there was like there were no windows in this place I had one little crack like window like this big and you could pull it open right and so <laughs> it, it was like it was like September, I think it was kind of warm. And so we pulled that was the only ventilation in the house. So we pulled that window open and went to bed. And the next morning, I remember waking up and I hear this and, and like these, these heavy sounds. And they were driving cattle down the street to the rail yard. That's what kind of town this was. So this was whilst you were coaching college football. This is why I was coaching college football. And, you know, like I'm a young guy at that time, like, so I'm like 24 years old or whatever I think it was. And so (laughs) there's no, absolutely no nightlife. There's one truck stop that you could get food at. And then there was like this little roadside bar kind of thing. But on Friday and Saturday nights, it was like everybody would come from all around. And, and it's a, it's a country and like, it's like really country. Like, and I, and I, I remember walking up to the bar and there's this one really good looking girl in the bar. And like, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a run. And, and I, I walk up to her and she turns around and she's got chewing tobacco in her lip. Right. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm out of here. This is, this, I gotta, I gotta get out of this joint. Why do you say that joint? You mean the whole, the whole of It's like, I mean, it was a great experience and it was a great place to start, but it was not a place I wanted to be <laughs> very long. Being at a small school like that, does it give you then more responsibilities? Are you given more to do as a sort of starting coach than you would have been if you'd gone to necessarily a bigger school? Yeah, and, and that's part of the, like I said, Jack Bicknell, who was my head coach in college, and then later on I would coach against him when he was uh, the head coach of the Barcelona Dragons in NFL Europe and, and the Scottish Claymores. Um, his advice to me was go out and don't just be a guy that sharpens pencils and, you know, gets coffee for the other coaches. You need to go out and learn how to do this. And the only way you can learn how to do this is to get your hands on it and, you know, do it. And so, you know, I was an offense. I had played, I, I think I played my freshman year in college, I played offense and I was defensive player the rest of my career. And so I really, it was great for me to get on the offensive side. And so one of the things that I think has really been good for me and helps me in my job that I have now is I've, like you said, Sam, I've worked on all the sides of the ball and basically coached every position on the field. So I have a little bit different perspective than maybe some other guys mm-hmm. do that just do one thing their whole career. We are sort of a very much growing sport, as you know, here, we're not anywhere near that level with that path be something you'd advise young coaches here to do to write to these colleges in america is that something they would be open to yeah i think anytime i I think the the you know everything's about you know taking advantage of where your advantages are right and there are a lot of roadblocks that um a coach from 
the UK would come up against because of, you know, how, what are we going to do about, you know, his, his work visa? What are we going to do about all that kind of stuff? But also there are a lot of people that would welcome that, you know, that kind of diversity in their staff would welcome the opportunity to, to you know, expand their recruiting grounds over here. So instead of looking at all the ways that it could not go right or not happen, a guy would need to really focus on what he's selling and recognize what he could bring to, I mean, cause you think about it, man, if you're at a school and there's, there's now 115, I think division one schools. Well, really there's about 50 of them that are really good. And the rest of them, you know, you may be at the University of Akron or Wyoming or New Mexico or one of those places, and it's really hard for you to re recruit players. So if you could sell that I can, I can, you know, come back to England and I could get good athletes, you know, because now with the success of Effie Obata and, and all those kids that are now playing over in the States, people are starting to recognize that they're players over here. And if you could access that talent pool, it, where it's not competitive because if you're if you're at one of those kind of schools as soon as ohio state or any of the big schools walk in you're done mm -hmm. right and i think that's really what a, what somebody would have to focus on if they were interested in doing that yeah and i think the nfl academy is going to massively help that with that as well because obviously we've got darren Agar, we've got donnell Arungo, Sadu Traore, and a load of other guys from between well filton pride and the nfl academy they're all going over there so yeah, if you could offer an influx of UK talent, which there clearly is, that could perhaps attract a D1 school to allow you to go and coach over there for sure. You know, it's funny you talk about Aggie because like last year when I came here, Tony Allen, who I worked for in the in the uh, International Player Development Program, yeah, uh, when I worked for, back in the days when I worked in the UK office, um, he's the head coach of that team. So I, yeah. I went, and Tony and I are friends, and, and I went out to watch a practice one day and I, I took, you know, I was probably on the field about three minutes and I walked over to Tony. And I said, that kid's a division one player. I mean, there was no question. If that kid was walking down the street of Dallas, streets of Dallas, Texas, or playing at, you know, any of the high schools in Southern California, he'd have, you know, and I, and starting to happen for him. Yeah. yeah he's getting a lot of offers. offers. Yeah. And, and there's more, there's more of them. The problem is, and like, I'll tell you a story about, uh, it's, it's better now than it was at that time. But when Sebastian Vollmer was coming out of high school, we had had him in our program and like, you know, I'm not, I'm not connected, but I, I know a lot of people. And so I tried all over the place to get him an opportunity in, in the States and no, everybody said the same thing, Jeff, why do we got to come all the way to, you know, Dusseldorf, Germany for an offensive lineman. Christ, there's, you know, 150,000 kids playing high school football in America. And, you know, I said, and I even called my, the school that I went to school at because our quarterback was the head coach, right? He'd gone back and become the head coach. And I said, Jack, I'm going to tell you something. If, if, if this kid was in Boston, you wouldn't, you could, he wouldn't even call you back if he, you know, because he'd be such a high profile recruit and still I couldn't get anybody to take a bite on him. And then what we did was we brought Chip Kelly. We brought coaches from Stanford, New Hampshire. I mean, Houston, a bunch of places over for a camp. And it was really funny because Sebastian was supposed to be at the camp, but he didn't come because he had a, he had a junior game with his junior club. And so we, we took all the coaches, we rented a van and took all the coaches down to watch him play. And it was funny because we got off the bus or we got off the van and this is in like uh, Schwabisch Hall, Germany. And it's the Schwabisch Hall unicorns against the Dusseldorf. Yeah, that's where, that's where um, Alexander Honig plays, the um, TCU quarterback. Well, okay. So they're playing a, a, a junior game and the coaches get out and they're like looking around and, you know, it's like the field's got grass this high and there's yeah. no line. I mean, just everything that, you know, and they're kind of like, what the hell are we doing here? Then Sebastian walked out and everybody looked at him and went, whoa. And then he started to play. And all of a sudden, like the coaches scattered like ants when you hit an ant, when you step on an anthill 
And they were all over there on their cell phones calling back to their universities about this kid, right? So that's how he ended up getting to the University of Houston because Thomas McGahee, who's now the special teams coach with the Giants, was there uh, as our guest trying to, you know, help these kids. And we ended, I think we ended up with seven kids got scholarships out of that camp. Yeah, but sometimes you just got to see them. Exactly. We're seeing a lot more of that now. Um, they're like PPI. They run their Dream Chasers tour. They take a load of kids from Europe. They go obviously they go around and do their camps all around the globe, and they take all the best kids like Brandon London. He takes them all over to America, and they do a tour of like some like quite a lot of Big Ten schools, quite a lot of just the D one schools in general. And through that, they've had a lot of success. Like I don't know if you heard of Victor Wickstrom. Mm-hmm. He's currently he's just signed his um his NLI from West Virginia. Uh, there are a lot of players like that who are finding their way over. So it's yeah, it's just good to see the development in that, and that it's it's moved on from just flying coaches over, and the players are now able to fly over to the states and get the get the opportunity to play D one football. It's a you know it's a, I have mixed feelings about uh, the process because, um, and I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just saying that this is what I, my experience has been. There's football in Europe is and and it's way different than 96 or 7 when i first started doing it but um back in those days you know it was really like the wild west i mean and there was no rules and there's no regulations and what happens sometimes too many times frankly is guys look at it as a as a way to make money right as an opportunity to you know, take it, not take advantage, but what ends up happening is they take advantage of kids that really don't have a chance. Right. And I'm all for guys getting an opportunity. I, that's, I really want that to happen. But I, if I was a parent, I'd be really, really cautious about who you spend your money with because, and it's interesting. You talk about Brandon London, Brandon played for me. He, he, or he was with us in Montreal in 2012 and a but in my opinion, there's way too many shysters out there that are selling dreams two for one and can't deliver on their promise. And these kids are just like kids in the United States. They want so bad to experience this thing, this opportunity that, you know, sometimes, you know, and it happens in the States too. I mean, do you know that it costs $85,000 to go to that academy in Florida, uh, IGM. I, yeah. IMG even. IMG. $85,000. Now, some kids get scholarships to go to IMG, and other kids' parents pay for their son to be there. That's a pretty hefty investment in yeah. your kid. You know, and that, let's say you go four years of high school at IMG. Think about that. That's over a quarter of a million dollars you spent hoping that you get an athletic scholarship. But the truth of the matter is that and I know this from recruiting, um, a lot of times the coaches and the parents are more into the recruiting process even than the kid is because, you know, like the dad may have never played or what, you know, it didn't work out for him or he didn't get whatever. He had his, his own story. And then the coach, he always wants to say, well, I sent three guys to Michigan. I got four guys at Florida State or whatever even though maybe the best place for those kids more one or two of those kids wouldn't have been Florida state. It would have been Georgia Southern because they would have had a better experience because they would have played. Right. So you got to recruiting is a nasty, I'm telling you dudes, it's a nasty business, a nasty business. I mean, you are one of the best people from position to talk about it. You were one rated at one point, one of the best, recruiters in the nation well obviously not in this nation america would you have then any tips for these kids that may be going to these shites what people are looking for or who well, who they should avoid i think i think there's a couple of things that you know i and, and it's interesting you, you've actually done your homework pretty good because um you know in the history of those that top 25 recruiters thing there's only been one guy ever at a non-power five school to to uh, win one of those awards, and that's me. And that's when I was at the University of Hawaii. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying that's the facts, right? It's not bragging if it's true. 
Yeah. And so what I know from that experience is the best recruiters I've ever been around were the best listeners, not the best talkers, the best listeners, because somewhere in the conversation with a player, you're going to find out if you listen, you're going to, he's going to tell you what's important to him. Right. So I'll tell you the story about recruiting Michael Bennett who you guys probably remember from the Seahawks and the Eagles Absolutely. and all that stuff, Pro Bowl player and all that. Michael was at Aleaf Taylor High School in Houston. In, and I was at Louisiana Tech in 2003. And I went to the school. I met the head coach. We talked. And, and then I met Michael. And um, Michael was Michael was a really, really good high school player. But he wasn't – he wasn't – he wasn't quite big enough at that time when I started recruiting him for like Texas and A&M and those schools. Um, but he was going to be a really good player. You could tell he was going to be a real good player. So I did, you're allowed to, at that time, I think you were allowed to see him once a week in school and you could go into the home three times, I think it was. So the first time I go into Michael's home, I go into the kitchen and I'm talking to his mother and I said, where's Mike? And she goes, oh, he's out in the backyard. And it was one of those houses where, you you know, the window from the kitchen went out to the back garden. And he had taken his sister's mattress. She had just got a new bed. And she took, she you know, she was like five, I think. And she's gotten out of her baby bed and got a new bed. He had taken that mattress and wrapped it around a tree with bungee cords. And he was out in the backyard working pass rush moves against the tree. That's awesome. And, that, and when, when I saw that, I said, that kid, I don't care how big he is right now. Because he was about 230, I think, at that time. I said, I don't care how big he is. He's, he plays fast. He can run. He's smart. And if he's that dedicated, he'll turn himself into a player. And, you know, Michael ended up playing, I don't know, what, nine or ten years in the NFL. Has Super Bowl rings and all that other stuff. And I saw a lot of other kids at that, you know, while I was doing it, that were probably – more advanced than Michael was, they had a higher floor, but a lower ceiling is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And the reason we got Mike to be real honest is because I recruited his girlfriend because I knew that I was going to see, I could see Michael once a week and I could go in his home three times. Right. But I knew Pele who's now his wife and they have, I think four or five kids. I said, I knew Pele was going to see him every day. So if I could recruit Pele, I got a much better chance to get Mike. And that's that's kind of, you got to recruit the mother. You got you to gotta find who the one is that the kid trusts mm. or puts his, you know, puts faith in. When you say recruit, do you mean like you enticed her to come to Louisiana Tech as well? No. What I did was I just... I was just me, but I paid attention to her because what happens is sometimes this is what I always felt like I could tell if a guy was going to be hard to recruit against or not when I'm usually when you meet him, because if it's a guy that's got like a big ego and all he wants to do is talk about himself and those guys, you could beat every day of the week because they weren't going to listen to what the kid was saying. Right. And so when I watched, when, when I, the reason I recruited Pele was because I watched, I walked from a class that they were in to the cafeteria with them. And I saw the way that they were together. They weren't like 16 year old kids, you know, in puppy love. They, they were serious about one another, right? So I said, okay, they, she's, got, she's got his ear. And she was really smart and really wanted to make sure that Michael was going to go somewhere where people cared about him. And it was more than just, you know, as a football player and, you know, and it was funny too, because one time I, that time I went to his house and uh, we were talking and just, you know, just talking. And that's, he said, Hey coach, let's go watch a basketball game. I said, all right, what are you basketball game? What are you talking about? He goes, well, my, my little brother's playing tonight. And I said, no kidding. I said, yeah, he said, he's really, really good. He's going to he's gonna declare for the NBA. I said, what crazy? Because I hadn't met his brother at this time. I said, what crazy? And he goes, he's always oh, two years younger than me. So that many would have been a sophomore, your second year in high school. So he was at 
Taylor too, and they were playing their arch rival. So we go and we're sitting in the stands together and out comes Ailey Taylor high school basketball team. And there's like all the kids are like five, 10, six, two. And then all of a sudden there's a six, seven kid comes out and it was Martellus, his brother. That's awesome. And he played tight end in the NFL. And Martellus as a sophomore took off from about the free throw line and just Boom, tomahawk dunk one and i said he might he, I, he actually did declare for the nfl i mean for the nba coming well, that's out how play college at um, they, basketball or was he football he, as well he played, he played college basketball for a couple years i think at texas a&m and then what happened with michael michael came to louisiana tech and i left that year before he came so he came he was there for about a month, I think, in the summer, and then Martellus was going to AM, so he transferred to AM to be with his brother. But that's the way kind of recruiting's kind of, you know, it's just about connections, right? Obviously, 2004 was the year you went off after Louisiana Tech to NFL Europe to become the senior management of the international player development. What was that like as an experience and a, and a change of the game? Um, Here's what had happened. Like Tony was the national coach in London with the Monarchs. And then the Monarchs folded, but Tony stayed on in a capacity of kind of like overlooking or overseeing the uh, development of the national coaches and national players in NFL Europe. And the American coaches at that time really complained a lot about the talent level about, you know, the everything. I mean, the typical Americans, right? They're, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they, so they bitch all the time about, you know, these kids can't play. They don't know how to play. They're not strong enough. You know, we, you know, dang. typical arrogant American approach. And so the league said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a program where we're going to try and access the best European players. We're going to start to make it scientific. We're going to have a combine. We're going to go, you know, process, you know, like basically like if you're preparing for the draft and a little bit of the draft and a little bit of college football, where you're trying to prep kids to get ready to go on to the next level. So Tony um, asked me if I wanted to be involved in that. And I, you know, I love Europe. I knew my way around. I, I could speak enough in about three different languages to get out of trouble. And, you know, it just kind of was the right time. And I loved it. That was so much fun. I truly, like, I think back now on the kids that we brought through that program. At one point, we had 32 European kids on practice rosters in the National Football League. 32. That's amazing. And Matt, we hired a uh, we hired a, a intern from the league office in New York. His name's Matt Shauger, and Matt is now the assistant pro personnel director for the New York Giants. But he was about a 23 year old kid. I don't think he had, he might have just shaved before he came over on the plane for the first time. But he was this baby faced kid that was so incredibly organized and detailed and smart. And I, I call there was a movie once called the Spartan and I called him the Spartan because like, he was like, so focused. As a matter of fact, when, when you talk to him, he'd tell you his dream was he wanted to be the commissioner of the NFL. We, you know, I don't think he's going to make that, but he'd probably be say never. he probably, he might be a GM in the NFL one day, but he came over and he really helped us. And, you know, we were able to really have great success with that program. And then sadly, when the league shut down, the program kind of went into hibernation for a few years. Yeah, it's obviously quite sad to see the um, the fall of NFL Europe. I mean, hopefully it'll like it'll regain some strength. And we've we've got a European League of Football starting soon, so yeah, hopefully that can improve things. But I'm afraid that's pretty much all we've got time for because obviously we've got to fit the rest of the podcast into this show as well. But just yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, is there anything you want to plug at all? Just you guys. Well, we will take that. Absolutely. I pre- appreciate it. <laughs> Guys, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so well. much it's been a real on. pleasure. All right, take care. Anytime you, you well. need anything, holler, all right? Mm-hmm.
thanks again to Jeff Reinbold for coming on the podcast. It was really, yeah, just really awesome to have someone from the, not only just from the media, but from the whole coaching background as well. So, yeah, awesome to grab that insight from the game. But let's move on. This week's game picks, I believe, um, yeah, you've got some game picks for us, though. Yeah, I love how you sound so surprised every single week. You I know. I'm very surprised. Oh, you got some game picks. He's remembered to do. He's remembered to do. Your little bit game picks. Yeah, usually Slew sort of scrambles halfway through the podcast and goes shit, and then has to disappear for five minutes. Am I getting shit really for being the guy that keeps track of this every single week? Bro, I'm just clearing, when reminded. Cluing in the listeners behind the scenes. When reminded. Yeah, I had to remind you before the podcast, didn't I? Uh, I don't know. I anyway, don't think I was recording. Man. Gets with the numbers. Okay, so <laughs> pretty good week actually. I mean, we all we all picked similar games because it Played looked it like it was relatively straightforward. And re- and to be honest, we got a lot of them right because obviously we're so goddamn smart. Um, <laughs> Matt managed to claw his one win back, and Stan it. has reasserted himself firmly in the lead. I mean, we've got reasserted two, reasserted himself firmly. You were sort of falling, I think. Your your fans have got a lot more confidence going forwards now. They were like, "Oh, is this a start the slide?" Never left. The stand stands. They they they're strong. <laughs> they're strong believers. <laughs> okay, but it does mean that Matt one three six eighty six and one. I'm at one thirty nine eighty three at one. Joe, although on the IR, managed to get his picks in very much just at time. So late. No, Honestly, eighteen minutes so afterwards, if I believe. Oh, apparently he hadn't gone downstairs, so he hadn't seen when any of the games kicked off. Didn't help Lisa, him. I, be- I believe him there. Yeah, 141, 81 and 1. And Stan with a commanding lead as we reach two more weeks before the playoffs. 148, 74 and 1. Quite a debut season. How do you feel, Stan? Um, yeah, I'd just like to thank my mum and my dad. Everybody raised me. Uh... Oh, so they haven't been your picks? They've been your mum and your dad's picks? <laughs> oh, collusion! <laughs> no, I was just oh, joking. No, I'm quite, quite happy with that, to be honest. The... Um... Same. I can't say the same for my fantasy football team this year. So, mm. very much better at predicting real life football, which I think is probably a more useful skill. Yeah, absolutely. Are either of them useful skills? Yeah, I think I think predicting games is pretty cool. Yeah, um, trading away your entire roster and then leaving one of your starting players is not as cool. Hey, at least one of your original draftees might win the might might win the championship. So there's that. Hey, that's true. Next up, we have our game of the week, which was voted voted for by you, the listeners, on our Instagram story. It is the Tennessee Titans taking a trip to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. Mm. What are the keys to the game in this one, do you think, Slee? I think this is a, a horrific matchup for Green Bay, to be honest. We've been talking about it all year, that the thing they can't do is stop the run. And now they're yeah. supposed to take on Derek Henry when it's going to be freezing up there. Have fun trying to tackle him for four quarters. It's, it's not going to happen. No, it's not. I mean, it never does, even in sunny weather. So, down there. I th- I just think it's a tough... I mean, it's been something that they haven't addressed all season. We saw it this past week, even when they were ahead, they were unable to think that would cancel out the run game. Nah, still no problem in that second half. So, this could be a really tricky game for the Titans. Um, The Packers, fortunately for them, the Titans' secondary is pretty trash. Yeah. So Aaron Rodgers should be able to move it through the ground. It could be quite high scoring. Yeah, it mm. potentially could be like through different different areas as well. Obviously, the majority of the Titans yardage proportionally probably come from the rush game with Derek Henry, and then obviously with the Packers, you've got Aaron Rodgers, who will do his best to light the um light the Titans up. If they can get multiple scores ahead, do the pack do the Titans move away from the no. run game? If the if the Packers go ahead. So they, if they're too they don't ahead. need they don't need to because the Packers are so bad against the run that the clock isn't still an issue. You can move the ball yeah. on them that quickly on the ground. Yeah, I'd agree. And also, yeah. Ryan Tannehill on the ground is sneaky, sneaky a problem as well. You're about to say sneaky fast, and you realise that that's like the worst cliche that we've already said yeah. it like five billion times in the podcast this year. Yeah, exactly. But no, Ryan Tannehill's <laughs> been been pretty productive on the ground as well, and also through the air. Who'd have thunk that? I know anyone that watched them play last year. All right. Well, I was, I was sort of harking back further to his days before the Titans. But um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm in agreement with you, Slew. I think the Titans is going to run all over the place. And uh, it, it could be quite high scoring, but I think in the end, I fancy the Titans by a couple of scores here. Wow. Mm. Yeah, mm. I, th- I think it's going to be a quite close game, but I th- 
Derek Henry will give them the edge down the stretch. And yeah, Ryan Tannehill has been playing quite well recently. AJ Brown has too. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go Titans here as well. You know what? I'm going to go the other way. I mean, as now I said it was a bad oh. matchup. I, ju- I just think, first of all, it's got nothing to do, I'd like to point out, with the fact that I need to gain wins to somehow come back. But Aaron Rodgers has, has been playing great. And that Titans defense isn't good. I think they'll win. It'll be a cl- one of those classic Rodgers drives in the last minutes to snatch a win. Snag it. Fair enough. We'll have to keep our eyes eyes out on that for a Sunday evening. Um, I can imagine Joe picking the Titans as well there. Yeah, but we have like, we do have the weekly pickums on the website, so we'll be able to find out who Joe picks on Sunday evening. I'll be sure to head over to our website and find out who everyone picked. Until then, it is time to wrap up the show. Unfortunately, if you want more dropback content, head over to our website www.thedropback.co.uk or .com. Matt Burns Peak, you've just reinvented the website, haven't you? I did. I've put loads of graphics on it. It looks cool. It took fucking ages, so you better like it. Five hours, I've heard. So many hours. On Twitter, we're starting to become more active on there. That's at the dropback, Instagram at the dropback, Facebook at the dropback UK. But until then, I've been Stan. I've been Sam. I've been Matt. See you next time. Bye. The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Stan Wilson. was an NFL defensive coordinator, it would be Man Blitz City, mate.